0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET,
1: this is Detroit Today. So much of child rearing today is about preparing kids for college and preparing to pay for the ever rising costs of college. But how much does that four year degree really pay off? And is it even necessary to have a successful career or life? New York Times columnist Ron Lieber joins to discuss his new book, The Price You Pay for College. We'll also talk about the move by General Motors to stop requiring four-year degrees for some jobs. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. On 101.9 I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So in just a few weeks, my oldest child will start as a college freshman. This is a day that we've been preparing for since he was born, thinking about how to pay for it thinking about how to get him the best educational opportunities so that he'd have the right choices when he was going to college. And, of course, thinking about what his life will be like after college, that a college degree will open many, many doors to him that would otherwise be closed. And, of course, the money is one of the biggest Concerns. How do you get it together? How do you save enough? How do you make enough to make sure that your kids can go to the college of their choice? But these days, that choice of going to college looks a little different than it did 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Today, when you get out of college, it doesn't necessarily translate to a stable, well-paying job. And that raises a big question. Is college worth it anymore? And if so, what's the appropriate price tag for it? And how do we calculate that? How do we know what's the right amount of money to save or to pay for college? How do we measure it? How do we measure the value of it, especially in the short term? It's August, which means lots of families are in the same pay place as mine, thinking about college starting, thinking about how to pay for it. Lots of other families are thinking about college applications, test taking, and prospective students milling around college campuses, thinking about where they might go. But What do we do about all these questions that surround that choice to go to college? Are there other choices like community college or foregoing college altogether to learn coding and get to work? What about things like gap years? There are just so many options competing with the four-year degree right now. Ron Lieber is someone who has been thinking a lot about all of these questions for little while. He is a New York Times columnist and he writes the Your Money column. He also recently published a book titled The Price You Pay for College and he's here to talk to us about all things college and more. Ron, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on getting one off uh, into uh, you know the higher education world, whatever it may be costing
1: you. That's right. I've got one going in a few weeks, and then I have another one who's set to go next year. So that, that really, as I said, is a focus for our family right now, and it has been for a long time trying to get ready for this moment. Uh, and, and I don't have to tell you that the expense— is the thing that just stands out more than anything else the money that we have been saving since our kids were born and of course the money that we're trying to make to to augment that savings and be able to to pay all the way through so let's talk about why four-year degrees are so expensive right now how did we get to this moment uh, when so many people are not only making extraordinary efforts to save and pay for college, but also borrowing extraordinary amounts and saddling themselves sometimes with decades of obligation uh, to do it. How, how did we get here? Sure. Uh, so
2: let's start with the public institutions. Um, state legislatures do not subsidize them the way that they used to. So we have to start there. Now, it's not entirely the fault of the state legislatures. Um, the fact of the matter is is that there are more regulations, federal regulations in particular, that act on these institutions in ways um, that they did not before. So we may be tempted to complain about that, right? Um, We may or may not like Title IX or other regulations, um, you know, that create uh, more rights for students who are undergraduates, but also responsibilities for the institutions that then require additional administrators and thus additional costs, Mm. right? But, you know, I think we do want our disabled kids to, you know, have better access to school. And I think we do want our uh, female-identifying children, you know, to have equal access to the soccer field, right? But then when you ask the institutions about this, they point the finger back at us and they say, you and your kids um, uh, want to have those kids living for four years in the manner to which they have become accustomed. And that means super fast Wi-Fi everywhere and all of the people and expense and hardware required to maintain that network. You want a much better career counseling office, and you deserve it. Um, But we are tripling the size of that operation. Um, 12% of kids are showing up on campus with prescriptions for psych meds, and half of them are going to experience anxiety or depression, and they're better at self-identifying. So you're demanding a counseling center that's three times as big? Well, you deserve that, but that costs money. Right. So it's all of these things sort of mixed together. And at the same time, the vast majority of parents, um, you know, have seen their, uh, you know, incomes flatline. Right. Unless you're in the top 10 or 15 percent of household income. So what are people going to do? Well, they're either not going to send their kids to college uh, or they're going to borrow and the kids are going to borrow, too. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the short version of how we got here.
1: Yeah. So I have this conversation with my mother all the time uh, and she sent me and my sister to college about 30 years ago now 35 years ago really and she says look it was hard then to come up with the money for college and she seems to think that that in a proportional sense that it's all kind of the same and i keep trying to explain to her that that the 10 or 15 thousand dollars it might have cost per year at at a college then is nothing compared to the 50 or 70 thousand dollars it can cost now and and we go back and forth about this but but I really would love to have you address the idea of whether there is a disproportionate growth in the cost of college over that period of time, or has it always been something that you had to prepare for and and make sacrifices uh, to do of of the same size that we're doing now?
2: Uh, You're right, and she's wrong. Um, And here's a good way to think about it. Um,
1: 25
2: or certainly 30 or 35 years ago... You could have put yourself through Ann Arbor, East Lansing, Western, Eastern, maybe not a private college, depending on your financial circumstances and how much aid you got. But you certainly could have put yourself through a state school by working in the summer during high school, putting that money away, working in the summer during college, putting that money away and working 10, 50, maybe 20 hours a week during the school year, but probably less and putting that money towards college. This was the thing that you could do. It is not a thing that you can do now. It costs too much, right? And as much as um, your mother and any mother may be trying to be helpful, right, the problem with that conversation is that as rational as you may be in your understanding of how things have changed, it's pretty hard to come out of that conversation without feeling guilty, Hmm. right? Your parents did it for you, so you have to do it for your own children, if you don't, you're a failure, right? And then you end up, uh, you know, off on a, a guilt trip at you know thirty-five thousand feet flying, you know, from DTW, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, looking down and saying, "Well, I'm just going to have to borrow, right? I'm going to have to borrow to the hilt because my kids should get the same thing that I got." But it's a different world. It's a different generation, and that may necessitate different choices for you and your family.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Ron Lieber, who is a columnist for The New York Times. He writes the Your Money column. His most recent book is The Price You Pay for College. And we're talking about the price that uh, all of us, I think, who have children at some point have to confront. Uh, How will we pay for college if that's the path that our children choose? Uh, How do we save to be able to pay for college? How do we try to earn more to be able to save more to pay for college? And what are we getting when we do that, when we make that choice, that four-year degree? What does that actually buy you? What does it get you in our society? Is it the same as it always has been, or are there other paths you can choose to get to the same places and not pay those exorbitant tuition rates uh, as always we want to hear from you during the conversation as well give us a call and let us know where you are in this process are you someone who like me as a parent about to send a child off to college finally after years and years of saving uh, are you uh, someone who has had a hard time coming up with that money uh, to be able to send your kids to college? What kind of choices have you had to make to make sure that there would be enough at the point that uh, your child needed to go off to school? Also, give us a call if you're somebody who is headed to college pretty soon. Uh, give us a sense of what your what your motivation is for deciding to go to uh, college, whether it's a four-year college or a two-year uh, college. Uh, what is it that you think you're getting at this point by going uh, off to college, and did you consider alternative choices? Did you consider other ways that you could get to the career or the life you wanted? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Before we get to our listeners, Ron, I want to put uh, one of those questions to you. What is the value of a college degree, whether it's a four-year or a two-year? And uh, these questions that are getting raised about that value—people saying, "Hey, I can I can get to where I need to go without it." Uh, how how true is that? And is that damaging? I guess uh, the the um, the the value that people i guess have always placed on the idea of a four-year degree
2: yeah so the value question is, is is somewhat cosmic even though people don't always treat it that way um you know the what we talk about when when we talk about value is, is effectively you know what is the definition of success and how much is enough right you can apply those those two questions to almost any human endeavor um, that has any kind of meaning. Um, we tend to talk about value in terms of dollars just because that's where the best data is. Mm-hmm. And the best data tells us that um, if you go to college and finish, which a lot of people don't do, if you go to college and finish, over the course of a lifetime, you'll probably earn you know, roughly a million bucks more um, than somebody who doesn't go to college. Now, to the extent that that gap persists, it's not necessarily because college graduates keep getting farther ahead. Um, it's, you know, people with uh, high school um, degrees are falling further and further behind. Mm-hmm. I don't need to explain that to your audience, um, you know, who've seen, a, you know, generation of uh, relatively well-paying manufacturing jobs, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of decline in number. Right. But. But there are other ways to think about value. What is the value of the people that I am meeting to me in terms of, you know, lifetime return on friendship? What about the mentors I'm finding in college who can, you know, take my head off of my body and then screw it back on straight again and point me in a direction that I never could have imagined for myself? What about the value of a degree that might be expensive but might, as you mentioned in the intro, open doors to rooms that I never could have gotten Mm -hmm. entry into otherwise, right? It's hard to put a quantitative figure on those, but they matter qualitatively.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that gap that exists, um, talk about the the, the lower end of that, the consequence uh, of not being able to or choosing not to go uh, to college. You're saying that that's that's getting worse uh, and it's kind of um, a different equation as well than than it was uh, 30 or 40 years ago.
2: I mean, I think it's harder to achieve a solid and stable middle class life um, than it used to be if you only have a high school degree. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say it's impossible. That's not to say there aren't exceptions. But I guess the best way to think about, you know, the choice or, or these two you know, distinctive situations is to consider the fact that there is actually risk in both of them. Right. Um, if you send your kid to a school that costs a lot of money but doesn't actually um, you know, graduate uh, you know, a high number of people who start there, mm-hmm. and if people in your income bracket, and this is data that you can look up, end up with a lot of debt, and then you end up in a situation because you borrowed a lot that, you know, you can't retire when you want to or retire at all. And then your kids are paying, you know, for your nursing home later on. Right. That's not a good result. There's risk in going to college. Right. There's risk in paying for it in the wrong way. And so we need to talk about it in that way, in the same way that we've sort of gotten used to talking about the risk involved with not pursuing higher education. Yeah. Um, now the odds are going to be different for you know each family and each situation. You know, is there an apprentice program you know that leads to a solid middle class salary in your area that your kid is interested in and passionate about? Well. That may be a difference maker for a kid who doesn't want to go to college. And then there's the kid who, you know, has only fallen in love with the private university that's going to require $30,000 in debt for the kid and 100000 for you, right? I mean, you know, there the choices become a little bit more clear. Um, but every family's different, and you need to ask yourself the hard questions, preferably a year or two or before your kid's ready to make the decision so you can shop and hunt and look sure. around accordingly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of folks queued up here who want to participate in the conversation. Let's start with Ian in Detroit. Ian, what's on your mind? Hi there. Um,
3: I uh, have had a very complicated path uh, through my educational career, and I think a lot of it is surrounded or like a lot of it's caused by the price. Um, In 2014, I graduated high school. I didn't uh, do great due to some health issues. I had my gallbladder removed and uh, stuff like that. And so I ended up uh, graduating and taking my courses at the community college nearby, Macomb. And um, I did really well being, like, on my own and everything. So I was uh, trying to plan what I wanted to do based on, like, what was the quickest, like, the best return for the amount of time that I had to put in. Not necessarily something that I was passionate about or something that I was good at. Um, But, like, kind of trying to find a compromise between those things. So um, I ended up choosing the nursing program. I got into the program, and I was greatly underprepared for, like, the emotional toll required Mm -hmm. to be in that kind of environment. Um, You know, I was in a clinical, and there was this patient that uh, ended up passing away after being in a coma for Mm -hmm. many weeks. And so if I had worked in the ER or, like, in the hospital setting before that, Um, I would have been better prepared. So I think taking a gap year uh, warrants a conversation. Hmm. But beyond that, I ended up changing my major and taking on a bunch of loans to go to Wayne State. Um, I was there for one semester. I was really struggling. I was working three jobs. Um, I had just gotten hired at uh, Beaumont, actually. And uh, then, like, the day before I was supposed to start, I was driving home to my parents' house, and I uh, ran out of gas and there was a semi-truck driver that um, uh, ended up falling asleep at the wheel and ended up hitting me as a pedestrian. Ugh. And so I was out of school for two and a half years uh, because of that. And, again, if I was able to uh, afford my tuition, I would have been able to afford uh, my gas, really? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But the, the challenges are not apparent and the dangers of uh, trying to take on too like if you're stretching yourself too thin financially, there it's gonna come back to bite you somewhere else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ian, I I love that you called, and I'm sorry about uh, all of those really harrowing twists and turns in in your journey. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have Ron Lieber, our guest, respond to Ian's story about uh, trying to get a college degree. Uh, we'll also get to more of your calls and comments. Stephen Clarkston, Rebecca in Gross Point Woods, Jeff in Southfield, we'll get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313- 577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us at Detroit today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit today.
0: WDET is your place for open dialogue,
2: the music you love,
0: real news and in depth analysis,
2: and cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit.
0: 1019 WDET is your public radio station.
1: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about... The cost and the value of a college education. Uh, Is it the same, uh, that equation, as it used to be? Is a college education necessary to achieve your professional and personal goals in life? And if it is, how do you afford it? How do you amass all of the money that you'll need these days to send your kids, especially to a four-year university, but in some cases even a two-year university. Uh, Our guest is Ron Lieber, a New York Times columnist who writes the Your Money column. His most recent book is The Price You Pay for college. Uh, we want to hear from you as well during this conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us where where you are in this journey. Are you trying to get somebody ready to go to college, trying to get the money ready to send someone to college? Uh, are you someone who is going to college and trying to figure out how to pay for it? Uh, or are you someone who's trying to figure out whether some of these alternative choices, uh, two-year degrees or training programs is a better way to go for you uh, again as always the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag detroit today uh, and we'll work you into the conversation uh, ron before the break we heard from ian who uh, whose story i think really highlights the the sacrifices that people often are making to try to get themselves through school, and I guess the 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 dangers of stretching yourself in such a way to to make those sacrifices that uh, that there are incredible trade offs that sometimes uh, come to visit on uh, people because of the choices uh, that they make. It really does cut to that issue of the value of college education and whether it is worth it for everyone
2: yeah ian um thank you so much for calling in it is easy um sometimes uh you know to let these conversations um address the needs of people who are in the upper middle class and are trying to you know figure out if michigan state delivers more value than denison university in ohio mm-hmm. Or should you pay a little more to go out of state? You know, if you got into, you know, Indiana University, Bloomington. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are many more people like Ian than the people who are choosing between a whole bunch of good options and have six-figure incomes. So, Ian, let me start by saying, this is all really complicated, and it's not your fault, um, and I think you know that, right? Um, and. Uh, I'm not sure whether you have a parent or parents, um, you know, who were or are supporting you. It sounds like you don't. Um, and for anyone in that situation, um, ask for as much help as you need because you deserve it. And the fact of the matter is, is that at every institution, at every community college, uh, at every four-year school, there is someone somewhere who is just aching to help you, right? It's, maybe it's someone in the financial aid office maybe it's someone in the counseling center, you may have to sort of fight to get attention. But when you tell them what you're up against, right, that you're working three jobs, um, that you're um, you know, not sure that you're pursuing uh, you know, the right education you're good, or the right you know, field of study, that you're not sure um, if you've taken on too much debt or the right kind of debt or that you understand um, the repayment, possibilities yeah. right somebody will help you and uh, it's okay to ask for it uh, you should demand it because you deserve it
1: yeah yeah uh, Ian I, I really do want to wish you well on that uh, really extraordinary journey that uh, that you're on let's go next to Rebecca in Gross Point Woods Rebecca welcome to the show hello hi hi, mm-hmm. hi.
4: Um, yes yeah, so I guess I'm offering a, a different perspective in that I come from Australia And I've been living in Detroit now with my husband for the last nine years. We've been married for almost 20. And we have three kids here who were very young when we moved here. They're now 10, 13, and 16. And doing college in America has never been an option for us Hmm. because we know how much more affordable it is in Australia. So if the kids want to go to college they will be going to college in Australia. And I thank God we have that option because it is affordable. Um, The statistics I found out recently, we did a webinar with a college in Sydney and found out that 50% of the Australian population is college educated because it's affordable. Because it's affordable, right? Wow. Because it's affordable. And you can get student loans. Often people need student loans to put themselves through college, but those student loans are interest-free, Oh. Oh. and they're paid back once the student graduates and starts working the student loans are paid back taken out of their tax so if they don't start working straight away or if they travel there's no pressure they can pay back those interest free loans whenever they're back in Australia and earning an income
1: wow, wow. Uh, um Rebecca that's yeah. a that's a really remarkable comparison and i mean kudos to you and your husband for uh, for being able to, to, to take advantage of that if, if your kids do decide to go to, to college. Uh, Ron Lieber, this, this comparison between what we do in this country and what they do, not just in Australia, but throughout the rest of the Western world with uh, college and college affordability, is, it's an important dimension of the discussion. We are an outlier in, in many ways.
2: Exactly. Right. Um, And let's talk about some of those many ways. And, you know, thank you to the caller for pointing this out. So many parents um, who were born someplace other than the United States and who are raising their kids in the United States think what we do is absolutely bananas, right? <laughs> um, you know, the reason why it's cheaper in Australia is because of the decisions that politicians and the people who vote for them have made about priorities, right? So if we want different priorities, we can make different choices at the ballot box. There are states where community college is free. There are states like New York, where if you earn under a you know, certain reasonable amount of money in terms of household income, your kid can have tuition-free Uh, you know, education at, um, you know, the flagship state universities, right? This is something that's possible. Um, The other thing that she mentioned that is really important, and so many people who understand and have studied student debt and student borrowing wish we had was that system in Australia where your loan repayment is simply and easily recaptured through the tax system. There's no calling loan servicer and them trying to chase you down at your address and eight different loans and six different checks at four different addresses. None of that goes on in Australia. Mm-hmm. It is so utterly sensible, and the fact that we cannot get that here is extremely
1: frustrating. Well, one of the things that that we often say or or, or end up arguing about here is – Well, that would cost us an awful lot in taxes that we don't pay now uh, to be able to provide those things. But I always kind of say, well, but we're all uh, shouldering that cost as individuals anyway. I mean, the people who decide to send their kids to college. So, I mean, would it cost more, I guess, if we had taxes that actually supported higher ed? than if uh, we continue to do it the way that we are, which is just kind of every person for themselves trying to come up with the money to to subsidize what we don't pay in taxes.
2: Well, I mean, it's an incredibly complex question, which is why we have a hard time, you know, sort of settling on an answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, what would the return be on additional state subsidies, right? How much more would the state have in tax revenue going forward 5, 10, or 50 years if, you know, the population had, you know, five percentage points more people who actually went to college and graduated and earned accordingly and paid taxes accordingly, mm-hmm. right? This is an investment, right? It feels like a cost in the moment, but it's an investment in productivity and higher income, you know, which leads to more revenue um, down the road. And so, you know, how do you do that in math? Um, or, you know, maybe it's a, um, a question of thinking in the moment, right, about, you know, what is necessary and sufficient when um, when offering an, an undergraduate education and what is excessive. Um, and, you know, you as a, as a state or as a private institution, right, could try to provide a super strip down um, a degree without the you know accoutrements and the nice storms and without the counseling center and the career office, mm-hmm. but the marketplace so far has proven that there's not a ton of demand for that. There are you know online degrees, but you know it's not always clear um, you know how those kind of perform in the marketplace, right? Um, which is you know you know you're often you're trying to get a degree to impress a hiring manager, right? So we as parents um, have chosen to make different choices because, you know, at least middle-class kids and above have come to think of residential undergraduate education, the four-year version of that, um, as a sort of um, expectation born on an entitlement. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Again, Rebecca, Really appreciate the call and that uh, that contrast that you're able to draw between what we do here and uh, what you're able to do in Australia. Let's next go to Jeff in Southfield. Jeff, welcome to the show.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. Hey. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. So I, I have uh, just a bit of a different uh, perspective, contrarian, uh, perhaps. Uh, I've had the, the plum pleasing pleasure of being financially trained with some of the smartest people on the planet. And I personally interviewed nearly 3,000 people regarding this this topic. And, and what I have come to the conclusion of is that the cost of college is not the problem. Hmm. Uh, parents will have uh, their credit card debt over their lifetime will be far more detri- detrimental than, to, to them than their cost of college. Uh, the way we pay our mortgages will have far more detriment to us than the cost of college ever will be. The reality is, is that regardless what a student does, less than 1% of entering freshmen will receive a full ride. Hmm. But unfortunately, this fact, I do not understand why our traditional voices, our hardworking high school counselors, representatives from the colleges, do not talk about this, this fact. And so they're sent on this wild goose chase of looking for money, which does not work for the masses. We're not talking about financial literacy from the point where people can fund the college and become successful at it. Let me, give, let me give my personal story. My son, my oldest son, has given me three grandsons in a very short period of time. I'm in the process now of positioning them so that when they get to uh, kindergarten, first grade, I will be able to fund their private education mm-hmm. with the same money that's my retirement account which is the same money which is my business funding account. I am going to I am going to solve multiple problems with the same dollar because I understand the banker's code. Mm. The point that I am making here is that as I hear parents' uh, frustration as I hear parents regret what they say to me all the time, is Jeff. Where were you ten years ago? Because they're not being taught how to beat the high cost of college, regardless of the cost of the college, without putting themselves in a financial bind. And yeah. I think that's the conversation we need to
1: be uh, having. Jeff, I'm I'm really glad you called and and shared that perspective. I mean, that's a really that's a really interesting take on on what the problem is and how we solve it. Uh, Ron Lieber, I, I want to hear your response to what Jeff's saying.
2: Sure. Um, I I would love to know what this banker's code is. Uh, Ron at ronlieber.com is where you (laughs) find me on email. Uh, Send it along. Um, Look, I could not agree more on financial literacy. Um, My last book, The Opposite of Spoiled, was all about how and when and why to talk to kids ages 4 to 16 about money and Mm -hmm. what to say when you do. If we don't start those conversations early, the 17 and 18-year-olds are not really going to be ready to reckon with the cost of college. Um, there are many uh, you know, cities and towns and states that do, do financial literacy in middle school and high school, but basically none of those curriculums are built around college. You could do a whole semester on the system explaining all of the things that you mentioned um, that would help people have a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder and also know exactly where to find the data that tells them what somebody in their income bracket is likely to pay on average. Mm -hmm. And while it's true that there are very few full rides out there, it is also true that the vast majority of people do not pay full price nationwide, right? Um, They get financial aid of various sorts. And so it's important to know ahead of time um, what you might be asked to pay, and then you can make decisions about where to uh, apply or enroll accordingly. But then again, right? There's only so much financial literacy can do. Um, If you're not lucky enough um, to have enough money to be able to save, if you are not lucky enough um, to have an incredibly generous grandparent um, who's looking out for you both on the education front and on the money front, um, and you know those folks need help too.
1: I think we have maybe lost our connection with Ron Lieber, um, let's take uh, a couple minutes to try to get him back so he can uh, finish up his point uh, about uh, this this incredible cost of, of college that people face. Uh, meanwhile, uh, let's take one more call. Uh, let's go to Eric outside of Windsor. Eric, what's on your mind? Go ahead, Eric.
5: the guys. Can you hear me?
1: Uh-huh. Go ahead, Eric.
2: Hey, uh, my comment was that um, university is definitely cheaper here in Canada. I put two daughters through university, and to be honest with you, they were able to afford it mostly just by working their own in the summer and a little bit while they went to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, They never had a student loan. Uh, They lived at home, so that made it cheaper. But I don't necessarily think that that's always a great thing. I think it's incentivized a lot of kids to go to university who, who really shouldn't have gone.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, huh. even though they might not be hugely
3: in debt, they, they're not really any further ahead in their careers.
1: Or, um, right, it didn't do what frustrated. they thought it might do. Yeah, uh, Eric, no. I, Eric, I really appreciate the call and the comments. We do have Ron Lieber back. Ron, I want to give you a chance to, to finish the point you were making.
2: Oh, sure. So, um, you know, to the caller, I'm glad he he made the point about increased subsidy causing Mm -hmm. increased enrollment Uh and, you know, the possible degradation of the experience or, you know, people who uh, ending up there who um, may not belong. You know, one way that that countries handle that is by sort of, you know, raising the bar for admission. Um, But then often you end up in sort of a tiered track system the way they do, uh, you know, over in England, right? So it's, It's difficult, but, um, uh, you know, I think you can make a reasonable case here in the United States that, you know, we would be better off productivity-wise and, you know, potentially GDP-wise if we had, you know, more college graduates or at least more people who had gone through certificate programs. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure where uh, we lost one another um, before, but, you know, the point I was
0: just trying to make
2: is that, um, financial liter- literacy is essential. It's important. Um, both schools and parents should, you know, build the money conversations around, um, you know, college and the system and how to beat that system. Mm-hmm. The rules will only go so far if you just don't have the money to save or you save some, but you don't have a super generous, um, you know, grandparent in the picture in the background trying to help out. And so, you know, we need to think about those folks too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ron Lieber, uh, it was really great to have you here to talk about uh, college and the cost of college and how we pay for it. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today.
2: It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're
1: going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how... One of the largest companies in the world is deciding to not require a four-year degree for many of the jobs that it provides. Kaylee Hall, an auto reporter for the Detroit News, will tell us what GM is up to next. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the cost of college, how we pay to send our kids off to get four- or two-year degrees as a way of opening up opportunity for them. Uh, One of the largest companies in the world recently, though, decided to drop their four-year degree requirement for many of their jobs. General Motors did that. Uh, but who does this apply to? What will it do to create a more inclusive and equitable work environment? And what will that mean for Southeast Michiganders in general? To talk about all this, we have Kaylee Hall with us. She's an auto reporter for the Detroit News. Kaylee, welcome to Detroit Today.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: Mm -hmm. So GM has pledged to be the most inclusive company in the world. Before we get to not requiring a four-year degree, talk about how they are trying to fulfill this pretty big
5: goal of theirs. Right. Yeah, it is a pretty big goal, especially when you're talking about a company that's been uh, in business for over 110 years. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of things to look at and to evaluate and how you can really reach this goal. Uh, some of the things that they've done is they've been re- invested in racial justice efforts, and as you mentioned with the degree requirement, they're reviewing and changing some of the job requirements. Um, one of the other areas that they're looking at is, you know, they're they're having their employees um, look at how they could be more inclusive. If you're a a manager, you know, what what can you do to help your staff um, and really promote this uh, this you know in- inclusivity um, mission? So. They're doing a range of things, and, you know, they have uh, new folks in leadership positions to evaluate their workforce strategy. Um, one of those people is Tammy Golden, and she's leading the workforce strategy efforts at GM, and I spoke with her back in May, and one of the things that she mentioned to me was how they're evaluating, you know, certain positions mm. and deciding whether, you know, do you really need a four-year degree for this, mm. uh, or are skills more important? yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Who does this non-four-year degree requirement uh, apply to? Talk about how many jobs are uh, affected by this and what kind of jobs are going to get that designation.
5: Yeah, so I think it's, you know, this is pretty early on, right? So they're probably evaluating each job, job by job. But I know for sure one of the areas that they looked at was this group leader role position within manufacturing plants. Um, that's an area where they decided look they don't really need to have a four-year degree to do that job so instead let's evaluate the skill set um and it's building really it's building up this this new um, ecosystem at GM to look at skills first um and then maybe education second mm-hmm. obviously i think that when you talk when you're talking about engineering roles design roles i would say that those would likely still maintain that the degree requirement right sure. because um, you need to know. You need to know how to be an engineer if you're going to build a car, <laughs> right? Right. <Yeah. laughs> or design a car. Um, so I think we're still pretty early on in this. I mean, GM says it's expanding um, this skills first um, ecosystem, and I think it's like I said, this is a very old company, and they've been doing things a certain way for so many years. It's going to take time.
1: Yeah. And um, and we should be clear that what we're talking about here are. White collar jobs in in yes. many instances because already there's a lot of blue collar jobs still in the auto industry where you don't need a, a four year degree. But what they're saying here is there are there are going to be um, non labor type uh, manual labor type jobs that uh, that you don't need a, a degree for.
5: Right. So I'm sure that over time we'll see this expand beyond um, just that specific job that they have already mentioned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, publicly. Um, but, you know, obviously this is going to be a process. And I think one thing that they, they told me is that doing this really opens up the pipeline and it enabled them to hire 50%, um, diverse talent into those roles. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you're they're doing this in a time too when we're in a, a really tough labor market. You know, it's very competitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. So that's probably another reason why they they decided, hey, we really need to open up this pipeline. Yeah. Um. And this is a way to do it.
1: Yeah. 1019 uh, is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what you think of GM uh, expanding the range of jobs that are available that won't require a four-year degree. Also, give us a call and tell us about uh, your journey with higher ed. Are you preparing somebody for college, preparing to get the money together to send someone to college? Uh, or are you someone who's trying to choose another path, uh, avoiding the cost and maybe the debt of pursuing a four-year degree? Uh, let's go to Viola in Detroit. Viola, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you very much for having my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a UAW worker. I work for Chrysler. In the mid, uh, mid-90s,
2: mid Chrysler required that all of their supervisors had a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. And these were supervisors who had, who may have worked for over 30 years, and then they tell them they have a degree. They brought their experience, and that experience worked. But then they told them they had to have a four-year degree, mm-hmm. and if they didn't, they would be they would have to retire. Mm-hmm. And so they did. Now you come to this day and age where you're saying that you don't need a four-year degree. And this is, again, managed white-collar workers. And I have to ask is how are how are their wages? Are their wages equal to as if they had a four-year degree, or is this another way that corporations are lowering wages Across
1: the board, yeah, Viola, it's a great question, uh, and I'm glad you called and and brought your own experience to the conversation. At uh, Kaylee Hall, what 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 does this mean for for wages? Are they going to pay less for these jobs when they remove the degree requirement?
5: Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I mean, they haven't really um, answered that, and those jobs, it's that's not like publicly available knowledge, right? So, um, the UAW workforce pay is available but um no i would say if they're on this mission to be more inclusive that's not really a way to do it right <laughs> so um i don't think that they are changing the pay structure but you know it's something to, to definitely look at and evaluate
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, again uh, kaylee really appreciate the call and the comments let's go next to pat in birmingham pat welcome to the show
2: Uh, Thanks, Stephen. Good morning. Yeah, just a a quick reminder. I'm I'm on the board of directors of the Detroit College Access Network. Mm -hmm. Just want to remind your listeners that uh, if you are a resident of the city of Detroit and you graduate from any Detroit high school, public, private, independent, charter, whatever, uh, college is free for you. All you have to do is apply through the Detroit Promise Program, which requires you to fill out a quick form, uh, complete your, your federal financial aid form. And at that point, uh, fi- uh, the rest of the financial aid is taken care of by the Detroit Promise. So if there's anybody out there who has recently graduated uh, from any Detroit high school who is a resident of the city of Detroit, uh, a big part of this problem is off your shoulders. All you have to do is take a look at the Detroit Promise and they
3: can help you out with your uh, college call.
1: Yeah, no question that uh, we've made a lot of progress in the city of Detroit. With uh, that kind of program, and and it makes a four-year degree accessible to an awful lot of people who it wasn't before. Pat, I'm really glad you called to to remind uh, to remind people of that. Uh, Kaylee Hall, I I wonder if you can talk about whether what GM is doing uh, is having an effect on other companies. Are there other companies that are saying, well, maybe we don't have to require four-year degrees uh, for some jobs either?
5: GM has been the most open about it that I've seen, but I'm sure that the other automakers are evaluating this, right? I mean, like I said, we're in a really difficult um, labor market. It's very competitive, and the automakers are competing against major companies for talent. So I think that they realize they have to open their pipeline and maybe bend a little bit of the rules um, to meet those you know, to, to get in the folks that they want. Mm -hmm. Um, beyond that, they all have, you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity, um, strategies that they're trying to, um, implement and they're trying to reach certain goals. So I don't, I'm not sure the GM is like leading this effort, but they've definitely been more public about, um, you know, what specific, what specific things they've done to, to really reach this goal. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kaylee Hall, reporter for the Detroit News. Really great to have you here with us to talk about what GM is up to. Thanks for joining us.
5: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor and why it has become more than just your average restaurant. A new book takes a look at all of the innovation and interesting ideas that come out of Zingerman's Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.